Hey everyone, this is People's World Podcast, and I'm Patrick Foote. Today our guest is Sarah Saez, candidate for city council in San Diego, District 9. But before that, let's widen the lens a little bit and take a look back at what happened last night. As of this recording, we're less than 24 hours out from the historic first Democratic presidential debate of the 2016 season, in which a plurality of the demands made by the people's movements in the last couple of years were condensed down and said back to us in the form of campaign-friendly soundbites. Uh, also worth noting, this is the first time on a major debate stage where the idea of capitalism versus socialism was discussed, uh, and that alone is monumental. McCarthy and his HUAC cronies are no doubt rolling in their graves fast enough to produce all the free energy we need. Fight for 15, Black Lives Matter, and all the coalitions of labor and community across the country who have demanded things like earned sick time and paid leave saw their issues articulated mostly favorably on the national stage. And if you contrast this with the Republican debates, which were mostly based on fear of the other, i.e. ISIS or big government or two married guys or two married girls. Terrifying. It's another nail in the coffin of the idea that the two main parties in this country are essentially the same. And, you know, yet that, that meme persists in some circles. And it makes some surface sense in a country where money is speech and incumbency is so closely tied to campaign donations statistically democratic coalition the small d democratic coalition that has managed to stave off a far-right takeover of the white house thus far is yes multi-class but within it lies the american labor movement and the voices of the majority of the oppressed marginalized peoples the, vo the voices who vote that is and those populations have come together in unprecedented ways over the last couple of years. Um, you know, internally at the AFL-CIO, some major changes have happened and some refocusing has taken place. Uh, Low-wage workers are now at the fore. Um, issues of race and identity are being actively struggled with at CLCs across the country and making big strides. And for evidence of those things, you can go back and listen to Episode one of the podcast where I speak with the head of the AFL-CIO Civil Human and Women's Rights Department, um, Tiffany Lofton. Or even episode two where I speak to the AFL-CIO Vice President Tafari Gebre about, his, about the rights of immigrant laborers. Still, the multi-class component leaves some folks nervous and with tinges of cynicism about the willingness of any given candidate to truly push for big people-oriented changes once elected. It's understandable. I get it, but I'm not one of those folks. In fact, I think some of those folks are missing the trees for the forest, so to speak. I think we should be heartened by the inclusion of these popular demands in the debate last night. The changes of position that some candidates contorted themselves into taking on these big picture issues show that what the millions of folks organizing the streets are doing is not for nothing on a political on the national political level. Our political system can still respond and adapt to popular demands, however slowly, and that's not something that should be taken for granted. Given the immense interest in the Republican and Democratic national debates, I think it's important for us to turn the spotlight onto local races from time to time, lest we lose some perspective of their importance. It's way easier to have a relationship with your county commissioner or your city council person than it is to know the president or even to know your congressperson. And that's important for building power. If you have a candidate for office, any kind of office, even a union office, who is aiming to challenge complacency with people power, 
I invite you to email me at podcast at peoplesworld.org and we'll see if we can get them on the show. Uh, my first guest candidate is Sarah Saez. Uh, she's an unabashed progressive running for city councilor in District 9 in San Diego. And she's a fusion of that in-the-street energy and electoral vision. An insurgent candidate in the vein of Seattle's Shama Sawant or Bernie Sanders on the national level, Saez is running because her community asked her to. She has an interesting platform, a resume lined with working-class activism, and a desire for some pretty monumental changes in the way things are done in San Diego City. Here it is, my interview with Sarah Saez. So Sarah, you have an impressive resume, um, and it's not the, the kind of resume a typical candidate has. You graduated with a master's from San Diego University, is that correct? Uni- yeah, University of San Diego. University mm-hmm. of San Diego, and um, uh, you're actually, you started off, it says in your bio, as a hospice worker in the Dominican, Dominican Republic. Uh, can you tell me a bit about that experience and uh, how it set you in the direction that has led you, led you to politics? Because that that takes that is an that is a hard job that takes an incredible amount of compassion. And I just I just want to know, uh, get a sense of how that uh, developed your values going into politics. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say so. I put th- I put that on my bio because I would say that. Um, living in Dominican Republic and working there kind of started uh, building my critical consciousness of, of social justice, right? So before that, I mean, I, you know, I, I grew up working class. I was a waitress um, and, you know, living in Boston. And actually right before I moved to Dominican Republic with my grandmother, me and my roommates actually got evicted from our apartment because we couldn't pay our rent. Um, so um, I've actually experienced homelessness before, um, you know, as a teenager. And um, basically my grandmother said she'd take me in. Um, and, you know, Dominican Republic is not the worst place to go. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I went there, you know, it's, it's in a beautiful island. But um, obviously when I got there, you know, I was able to, you know, witness and experience um, third world co- poverty, especially in, in the countryside. Um, and I just really wanted to do something. I wanted to change something. So I actually, my grandmother took me to this hospice and I started volunteering there. Um, and these are people who had essentially been abandoned. Um, you know, the, the hospice was in really bad conditions and, um, it it just, it basically just grew in me, um, the sense of urgency about helping other people and being able to, to help people on, on a, on, on a global level. So I actually wanted to, uh, right after that, join the Peace Corps. And then I realized that you needed a degree to to Uh, join the Peace Corps. You can't just join the Peace Corps, apparently. Um, So that's that's what I ended up doing after working in the hospice in Dominican Republic. I decided to go back to school um, and got my bachelor's degree. I I started off, I I thought I was going to do, you know, pre-med. I'm going to do Doctors Without Borders from working in the hospice. Um, and you know, after my first year, I, I realized that wasn't for me, but it, it worked out and I ended up getting my bachelor's degree in sociology and critical criminology, um, where I learned about globalization. Um, we really focused in on, um, things like the prison industrial complex and, and all the kind of societal things like, you know, race, class, class and crime. And, and that's when I started, uh, becoming an activist. So just from working as a hospice in the hospice in Dominican Republic, it, 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 kind of um, put me into this position where this is what I I knew I wanted to do with my life um, in whatever kind of way it manifested itself. So then you went on to work uh, at the Coalition of Immokalee Workers, is that correct, in Florida? 
Yeah, exactly. That's that's when I, I was getting my um, bachelor's degree in critical criminology, and um, we just started organizing. I, I it was with the Student Farm Workers Justice Alliance, hmm. um, and I worked with some other folks like Bolivarian Youth, um, and and just started becoming an activist. You know, we put on our first social justice fair on campus, and then um, you know I connected with the the Coalition of Immokalee Workers through the Student Farm Workers Alliance, and um, at that time. Um, you know, they there were s- serious human rights abuses in the field. They were being pip- pistol whipped in the field. Um, uh, but the major um, impetus for the campaign was to end the human rights abuses, but then also get one more cent per pound of tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there was a campaign against Taco Bell and Burger King. We actually flew out to Chicago to Burger King headquarters and and picketed. And um, you know, we were able to win both of those campaigns um, through organizing. And you know, obviously, Coalition of Immokalee Farm Workers have gone on to do amazing things with Chipotle and Whole Foods um, and they're just they're just a force so that was that was my first real organizing campaign alongside workers um, and again you know a catalyst for for what I'm doing now so yeah yeah that's a good, as good a first experience as any because I mean CIW is really a badass organization uh, yes. <laughs> they do good work um, mm-hmm. with Publix. They're they're holding them accountable right now. I believe Wendy's. So they're mm-hmm. working. They they're not stopping. Well, currently you're working as the program director for United Taxi Workers of San Diego, um, with Uber and Lyft and all those sort of I guess they're called ride sharing uh, companies becoming more and more uh, popular. Uh, do you see sort of a uh, some common ground or potential for a synthesis between the struggles of those who we know are being exploited by Uber and Lyft and those cab drivers who are getting a bad deal. Um, do you, or does, or does fighting for one thing mean fighting against another for you? Yeah, no, I think that there's definite synthesis. Um, you know, obviously we do want to fight against Uber and and what Uber stands for, which you know we believe is um, you know basically uh, privatization of our our transportation industry, right? It's it's the tech sector neoliberalism, um, and we don't believe that it's it's an answer to the inequality that we have in our country. And I know, you know, they call it the gig economy. You can work here and make money and, you know, uh, they tout innovation, but it's, it's not a, it's not a solution, right? So, you know, obviously Uber and Lyft drivers are independent contractors. They actually are not protected by any labor laws whatsoever. Um, taxi drivers aren't as well. Um, so they're, they're in the same boat as that. Um, taxi drivers in San Diego specifically, they're, uh, primarily an immigrant workforce. 94% are immigrants in San Diego and 71% of them are East African refugees, actually. Um, and they're independent contractors, too. But what we've been able to do in San Diego is um, collectivize. And we actually passed one of the most, what are, are the president of the Labor Council, one of the most historic policy victories for workers in, in recent history in San Diego. And we lifted the cap on taxi permits. So a lot of people don't realize that um, in most cities, except for New York, um, taxi permits are public property. Um, and in, in most cities, what happens is that these taxi permits, you put a cap on them and it creates this virtual monopoly. Um, so these, these permits originally went for $3,000 are now being traded on the gray market. You know, we kind of, it's, it's pretty much a black market for upwards of $150,000. So from 3,000 to $150,000. Yeah. And then that trickles down on our drivers who have to pay high lease rates. Um, and live in virtual poverty. Um, in San Diego, there was a study done by San Diego State University that found they were making 4.45 an hour. Um, so 
But by lifting the cap, what we've been able to do is we've been able to end this decades-long monopoly, and drivers are now able to become owner-operators. And they're actually starting their own driver-run dispatch um, you know, with low-to-no-emission vehicles. So we're able, and they're building their own app. So once you start reforming the taxi industries, which again are public property, they are part of our public transportation network, once you start uh, reforming them, then I think you have to take a closer look at, at Uber um, and the privatization of transportation and realize just how much more inequitable it is. You know, Uber came into the transportation industry. First of all, they, they don't even call themselves transportation. They, they said they're, they're an app, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but so they came in to disrupt the taxi industry. But we don't believe that's a solution. So saying that, over 100 Uber drivers have asked us to help them organize. There's a huge protest, you know, on, on the 16th of this month um, where Uber drivers are going to, you know, are fighting back. So um, we think that we can, you know, work together with Uber drivers um, and be able to call attention. And it's not just Uber and Lyft drivers, right? There's like um, TaskRabbit, there's Airbnb, there's all these kind of tech industry companies that are not like super capitalism, right? Airbnb is gentrifying people out of their homes. TaskRabbit's the same thing as Uber where they're independent contractor workers who are not allowed to collectivize. Um, and these companies are making massive profits, you know, and and these these workers, Uber drivers, you know, they, they compete within themselves with Uber X drivers and things like that, aren't even making a living wage. So um, I think that there's there's ways that we can definitely work together. That's awesome. That, I could talk about that for hours. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> but I'm gonna stop there. <laughs> All right, fair enough. No, that's uh, that's it's an exciting uh, area of uh, of of the fight happening right yeah. now. Is this sort of it super is. liberal uh, liberalism, like neo mm-hmm. neoliberalism that you're talking about, creeping into uh, the the marketplace of everyday tasks like TaskRabbit is kind of yep. sp- specifically, I think, kind of dystopian. But um, so you're running for city council in the yes. state, or rather the city of San Diego. Yeah. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about the political climate there? Like, I know there are some bastions of uh, progressivism within California, and then there are some other areas that aren't quite as uh, forward-thinking. Uh, and as a left labor candidate, are you facing uh, an uphill battle? First of all, would you characterize yourself as a sort of a left labor candidate? Oh, yeah, proudly. <laughs> definitely. Uh, <laughs> I'm definitely a left labor candidate. Um, I mean, that's what this that's why I'm running. You right. know, that's what this whole campaign's about. Um, and I would say the political climate is interesting in San Diego. So we, we do have a majority Democrats, but we have the only Republican mayor um, in the whole state of California. So, um, you know, we obviously have a lot of wealthy people who live here. Mitt Romney live, lives in La Jolla. Um, you know, so it, it's interesting because the political climate, even though it is Democratic majority, it is working class majority. Um, you have uh, these pockets of uh, wealthy folks who have been controlling our our politics um if you know in our government in San Diego for decades, so um, it's definitely an uphill battle. But the district um, that I'm running in is District Nine, and District Nine is is a working class district. I live in uh, work in City Heights, which is one of the most diverse neighborhoods in the country. Um, over a hundred different dialects are spoken here. Um, you know, we have the second largest Somali um, refugee population that's here, and these folks, you know, they're they're left just like me. But um, what's happening is that in District Nine we have two neighborhoods which are called Kensington and Talmadge, and they're more of our uh, majority white neighborhoods, more affluent. Um, they're still left leaning, I guess. Uh, we call them left leaning, but they're still Democrats, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 
in 2012, when the last time District 9 was able to decide who their council member was, a majority of people turned out from those areas, um, even though our, our, our district, District 9, was redistricted to be a Latino majority district. So our working class people of color are not coming out to vote in District 9, um, even though, you know, they, ha they have so much power. Um, but what we've been able to do at the United Taxi Workers, I mean, we've, we've registered hundreds and hundreds of East African refugees, um, and even though only around uh, 6,000 are registered to vote out of the 30,000 that that live here um, they turn out at rates of over 50 percent so that's something that we're building on and you know that's how we believe that we're going to build political power inside this district and then inside you know the city of San Diego so it's an uphill battle but I think that we have um, we have a lot of momentum and I think that the people who aren't coming out to vote are really going to respond to uh, a campaign like this where, you know, we have working class messaging and, um, you know, we're unapologetic about it. We have an amazing, um, amazing platform that I'm sure you'll ask about later, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard though. Like I said, you know, we have our media union tribune is our, our most, our major media outlet, very, uh, right leaning, you know, mm -hmm. um, so we do, we definitely have uphill battles, but then we have our, our little pockets of progressivism and, and those are my friends. And, um, you know, we have the living wage on the ballot in June. Um, so we, I think, you know, I think we have a lot of momentum and I, I think that, you know, if, if it, it's going to happen in any district, it's going to happen in district nine. So it's exciting. Awesome. Yeah. yeah and uh, speaking of your platform, you mentioned it yeah. and uh, this is about the time I'm going to ask about it. Uh, so yeah. What are your main, what are some of your main issues? Uh, like I know housing is one mm -hmm. and housing is, is a big issue from what I understand uh, all along the uh, West Coast with uh, from Seattle to San Francisco to L.A. being completely unaffordable despite the new $15 minimum wage. Uh, what what are what uh, what how is it in San Diego? Um, yeah, so same thing. Um, super expensive. <laughs> and San Diego is, I think, the eight, you know, one of the most expensive cities in the country. Um, and you know, we're a tourist. We're a tourist city, um, but you know, tourist cities are made out of the people who work in tourism, like my taxi drivers and hotel workers and other folks like that. Um, so, you know, our platform is based on those issues. So, um, you know, we have we have four pillars of our platform. Um, the three main ones are we want to make San Diego affordable, safe, and green for everyone. Um, and I can explain those a little bit. Obviously, affordable means fifteen dollar minimum wage. We need that now. Um, we don't need that in a couple of years. We need that now. Um, we need more affordable housing, um, you know, people, people can't even afford to live, even if they get that $15 minimum wage, like, um, you know, if, if housing is unaffordable, like myself, when I first moved here, I moved downtown San Diego, um, and, uh, you know, lived above this this pretty awesome dive bar actually and and it, it you know their rent went up and they moved out and the, you know this microbrewery came in and my rent went up a hundred bucks so I moved to City Heights where I'm living right now um, and we've lived here uh, for four years now but our rent just went up another hundred dollars here too so people are being gentrified out of their homes um, so we want to be able to to make more affordable housing um, and we want to be able to create that affordable housing with good union jobs so we want to be able to have uh, project labor agreements where we have local hire um, 
a thing in San Diego that happens all the time is that we we build infrastructure and we build affordable housing, but it's you know they go for the cheapest um, workforces, which are people from Arizona or you know outside the state, and then that money returns their to their economy, and our um, you know unemployment rate stays the same. So we really want to be able to promote um, good union jobs, um, you know, help un workers uh, better unionize. I'm a delegate of the San Diego Imperial County Labor Council here, um, so that's really really important into making San Diego affordable and then safe. Um, you know, obviously we want to make our streets safe, um, but a big part of our making San Diego safe is to stop criminalizing our black and brown youth here. So um, in City Heights, the neighborhood that I live in, there's there's curfew sweeps all the time where we're, we're locking up our youth and criminalizing them at such a young age. Um, you know, we have a lot of undocumented folks inside our neighborhoods. We need to stop criminalizing them. And we also need to stop criminalizing our homeless population. There's a huge homeless population um, in the state of California. Um, and, you know, we need to be able to use those resources that we use on the police force to... Um, you know, increase social services for people with like mental health services and, and again, housing. Um, so, and then our fourth one, I, I third one is, um, you know, obviously make San Diego green, which is increased green infrastructure. Hopefully you good union, um, infrastructure, increased public transportation, um, you know, make it easier for people to be able to get around, um, you know, we have a really amazing climate action plan, but it hasn't been implemented. Um, you know, we want to make community farming better. And I'm sorry if I'm talking really fast, but um, no, okay. and then our, our fourth pillar is um, like my most exciting because I feel like that it kind of brings all the, the other three together is that we want to um, build popular democracy um, at City Hall. So, um, you know, I've been advocating alongside my taxi drivers um, for over five years now. And even though we passed this historic policy victory, you know, I spend a lot of time on the 10th floor of City Hall and, you know, it wasn't easy. The things um, the, the, the things that our communities, um, the barriers that they have to go through to actually, you know, be able to change their lives and empower themselves. Um, um, is 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 not easy, you know. So we want to be able to remove those barriers. We want to have town hall meetings. We want to have. I want to have an office inside the district right now. You know, community members have to go downtown. Um, you know, either pay for parking, um, and you know, it's just not acceptable for people. So have have a district inside. Um, have a district office, but then also get people's ideas. So like, I know everybody's like, oh, so what are your plans for this? What are your plans for that? But I want to be able to use the community mm -hmm. as a source. You know, they have this amazing knowledge um, about their own lives and, and to be able to do even things like participatory research where we're like, okay, look at this issue. Let's research that together. What are the solutions to these things? Um, and just, it's their city hall. Like, so I want them, you know, it sounds corny, but like, I want them to vote for themselves, you know, and, mm -hmm. and a lot of the reason that I'm doing this is because, um, you know, I feel like, you know, even though I grew up working class and, you know, I, I've worked all my life, um, you know, I'm still educated and I still have opportunities and I still have connections that a lot of my community members don't have. And I feel like if I can't do this, neither can they. Like one of the big things, um, you know, that I've, I've found as a barrier is money and politics, right? So, um, I'm, you know, it's not just San Diego, it's everywhere. The person with the most money wins, you know, and how, how are our grassroots um, community leaders ever going to be able to be in a position to run for office and make it through office if, you know, we continue to have money in politics. So that's kind of what we, we envision for a popular democracy is, is just 
bringing true democracy to District 9 and to San Diego and, and just really have this amazing grassroots uh, community-led effort to make real change in our district. So um, those are our issues. <laughs> it's a lot, but it's exciting. <laughs> no, yeah, it's a lot. And you're, you're addressing big questions that, you know, a lot of uh, cities, states, and even in the country are addressing now in this upcoming election year. And yeah. it was refreshing to hear you say that, you know, People having knowledge about their own lies is not a fact politicians like to talk about, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, you know, like tapping yeah. them for their knowledge and their input and going close to them is something that I think turns away a lot of politicians. You know, the idea of going and having an office where you're more easily, you know, you know protested or you're more easily uh, contactable is not something that every politician wants. So that's it's really good to hear coming out of... Uh, uh, someone at the grassroots level. Yeah, no, we want that. I want people, <laughs> hopefully nobody will protest me, but I welcome that, you know, like that's, uh, that's yeah. the point, you know? <laughs> right, right um, exactly. Yeah, so that's the point. And I forgot to also mention that we want rent stabilization. Um, you know, they, it's a controversial thing and, you know, realtors are not going to like it, but um, we call it rent stabilization, rent control, same thing. But, um, you know, they've passed it in, in San Jose and some other uh, places too. Um and, you know, we just need to be able to bring back um, some kind of sense of stability for our communities to be able to um, take care of their basic needs, which is, you know, housing. So, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's a big deal. And like you said, uh, uh, San Diego is a uh, largely a tourist economy, like you said. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I c come from Orlando, which yeah. is definitely like one of the biggest tourist economies in the entire country. And it is super important to take care of those workers. You know, they're getting the tourist industry is some of the lowest wages, but it's some of the most important work in terms of uh, building a, a local economy. Um, exactly. So, yeah, I, it, you can't have people being priced out of their homes just because they work a service industry job. It's ridiculous. Exactly. Then you have like San Francisco where we're busing people in just to work like, yeah. you know, these tech companies. So, yeah, it's absurd. Yeah. Um, so uh, moving on, we mentioned earlier, uh, you know, the fact that housing is an issue from Seattle to Los Angeles. And when I speak to you, I can't help but think of another uh, city councilwoman, uh, Shama Sawant, who is uh, the socialist city council member in Seattle. Um, she's running for another term, I believe, pretty soon. Um, mm -hmm. Do you see... Uh, your candidacies as akin to one another and you you see uh, this as you're 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 stepping up into this leader leadership position as another um, step uh, for the progressive left in the sense in the same sense that it was for Sawant. Yeah, she's amazing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I was I am definitely inspired um, by Sawant. So um, I think, a, you know, a lot of our platform comes from the same kind of ideals that she has, you know, and these are all um, socialist ideas. You know, we believe housing's a right. We believe healthcare's a right and food's a right. You know, um, we believe all these things are right. Um, you know, a lot of people, when we lifted the cap on, on taxi permits, were like, oh, that's a free market reform. And I'm like, no, it's, it's the workers taking over their industry. You know, mm -hmm. we believe that they, you know, workers ultimately should have control over 
over their um, their workplaces. So um, she's doing amazing things from the fight for 15 to rent control um, to something too. Um, just yesterday was you know uh, what we traditionally celebrate has Columbus Day um, in Seattle uh, renamed it Indigenous Peoples Day. Right. Um, you know has a Taino Indian from Puerto Rico Dominican Republic like I you know we should stop ce celebrating genocide and somebody might just see this as a token reform renaming a holiday but that's that's the kind of stuff that empowers our communities, mm -hmm. you know, along with rent control, along with um, $15 minimum wage. And what she's doing by bringing people out, I mean, her council meetings, when you see a full council meeting of people participating um, civically, um, that's that's what we want to do. So, you know, we're extremely um, inspired by what she's doing in Seattle um, and you know, what Bernie Sanders is doing on the national level. Um, and we want to be able to replicate that here. And, you know, she's doing it um she ran when she first got elected she ran on 15 dollars. now that's working class you know issues right there and um she was able to turn those people out including students um you know and people of color so um i think a lot of political consultants will tell you don't worry don't bother with you know people of color don't bother and they literally say that don't bother with students they don't vote they don't come out to vote um but when you message things that are going to speak to people and their direct issues um the way that Swant is doing and the way that, you know, we hope our campaign is going to be able to do, um, you know, that's that's how we get people involved. And, and that's how ultimately we believe that we're going to win. So I definitely draw so much inspiration um, from what from what she's doing there um, and, and hope we can replicate it here. So, yeah. Great. Uh, and finally, uh, you know, if folks wanted to support your candidacy and if they wanted to look you up and maybe get involved, uh, what are some avenues through which they can do that? Yay, please get involved. Um, you, you can go to our website. It's uh, Vote Saez, uh, S-A-E-Z is my last name. Uh, so votesaez.org. Um, and you can check out all our stuff there. Um, obviously, if you live, you know, in San Diego, come out. You know, we have a lot of doors to knock on and phone calls to make. Um, and, you know, we're just going to be organizing at the grassroots level um, here. And then people across the country, you know, um, I was telling, you know, people just the other day, it's, it's going to take more than just me and Sawant and, you know, um, people like that. We have to flood <laughs> our, our, our government. You know, we need more people like Patrick, like you run, you know, like we need we need as many people as we can who is who are willing to take this on who are willing to 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 raise their hands you know i'm not doing this because i have any personal or professional ambitions but um my community asked me to run so we need more people to do that so anybody who who, who can contribute to our campaign or have any ideas for our campaign you know get in touch with us on our website um boatsize.org again um you know i'm on facebook i'm on twitter it's you know uh, my personal Twitter account and my personal Facebook page. We also have a campaign Facebook page. Um, and just plug in and and let's try to make these these movements to, you know, to take over our, our local politics where, wherever we are. So, yeah. Great. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. that, was, that was Sarah Saez running for city council in San Diego. Um, thank you very much. Thank you, Patrick. Hey everybody, it's Patrick again. It's the end of the show, but I'd like to remind you that Wednesdays are our episode release days, and next week is a particularly exciting episode in which we'll have a speech from the Reverend William Barber, founder of the Moral Monday Movement in North Carolina. Um, so please tune in for that. It should be a good one. And uh, if you want to get in contact with us, please feel free to reach out via Twitter at, at People's World or via email at podcast at peoplesworld.org. 
Uh, we love to hear from folks, uh, get suggestions. Uh, you can let us know about your particular slice of the fight, and we'll uh, we'll have you on the show to discuss it. Uh, nothing's off limits here. Um, so just give us a give us a ring, so to speak, and uh, we hope you'll continue to listen and support the People's World podcast. <laughs>